Father, we just lift you up this morning as the name above all names, the King of Kings. And Father, what a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And we just, we love you this morning. God, we just pray that you be glorified and, and just open our ears to hear what you have to say to us through your word this morning. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, Amen. Please be seated. So in Matthew 24, chapter 24, the last two or three weeks, we have looked at what Jesus says are signs of his coming. And I believe all these signs tell us today, right here in 2017, that Jesus is worthy of our ear. We should listen to what Jesus has to say. If someone comes along and says, in just a, in a time, all the buildings in Washington, D.C., all the government buildings, the big ones, the Pentagon, the Capitol, the Supreme Court building, all those buildings will be torn down. We would snicker at that, wouldn't we? If you've seen those buildings, as we've mentioned, they're huge. I mean, my goodness, you know, uh, a jetliner flies into the Pentagon and did great harm for people, but, you know, it, it just tore up a section of it. It's a huge building. It's gigantic. But if that happened, we would have to give some close attention to that prophecy, to that prediction. We would have to discover, was it just, you know, fortune or good luck? Or did, does the person know something? When I think about the prediction that Jesus makes, that there would be earthquakes and famines, uh, I think about how could that just be an ordinary, everyday man? How could that be a delusional person to make that kind of prediction? I don't think that would be a normal thought. I don't know. Uh, you know, there is a big earthquake fault that runs through Israel today. However, uh, it's not like the Pacific Rim. And, of course, education would say that there's been earthquakes in the world, but to speak about the upcoming earthquakes as a sign that what I'm trying to tell you is right, I think would be a poor choice to make because that seems to be a, a stretch from no real information. But when you're the son of God and you see in the future and you know things, that changes it. So he's worth listening to to me. The famines, the wars, and rumors of wars, understanding human nature. But an ordinary carpenter would not be that deep about the future, I don't believe. And so that, to me, gives us uh, some uh, information to help us realize that he needs to be listened to. I think about the great falling away of faith that will accompany the end times. I think about the great movement of the body of Christ to take the gospel to all the world. That simultaneous happening is, is, is so bizarre when thinking about groups and peoples and movements of people for whatever cause, you've got to say there's no way in the world that there's a great falling away. At the same time, there's a great movement forward. That, that seems to be a division. That seems to be unlikely to me that an ordinary carpenter would come up with that. So I think all those warnings, all those signs of the times, they're at least enough information for the deepest of skeptic. The, you know, the, the hardest of critic on Jesus would have to really pay attention to those words. Now, I am not a harsh critic of Jesus. I'm not a cynic of Jesus. 
in my life today, if Jesus said it, I'm on it. I believe it. I trust it. I, I don't ever look at the scripture and say, Jesus didn't mean that. I ask myself, what does Jesus mean by that? Because he's worth listening to. So uh, by no means can I really identify with a cynic or the one that's critical of the words of Jesus, the one that doesn't, or the one that discounts the words of Jesus, because since I became one of his family, one of his children, I don't question what Jesus has said. I think that's true. I think it's the way it should be. And so the red words of Jesus, R-E-D, red words, are crucial for us. We need to listen to the red words. We need to pay attention to the red words. Now, in Matthew 24, I don't think there's enough information in that scripture for us to say without question, this is how the end times line up. This is the order of events. You remember we talked about people believe rapture, seven-year day, seven year tribulation, and then Jesus returns. Some people believe in three and a half years of tribulation, and then rapture, and then three and a half years of tribulation, and then Jesus comes a second time or a third time, depending on how you look at that. And there are people that believe that Jesus returns at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. There are people that believe that he comes at the end of all that. And so there are lots of opinions that we can all share, but there is one crucial piece of truth that, in my opinion, is absolutely not negotiable, not debatable, and that is... Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. And his teaching about his return primarily focuses on us being ready. He wants his people to be ready. He wants people to be ready. It's important that we talk about whether or not you are ready for his return. And so we come to Matthew 25. Now, a Jewish wedding was a week-long event. I like our ways. <laughs> I can't imagine a week-long wedding, man. I'd go, <laughs> man, count me out. I went to a wedding last night. It was fun, beautiful, all those kind of things. We love what all happened, da, 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 da. But I was so ready to come home. Weddings are not my thing. There's a lot of stress at weddings that are unnecessary. There's a lot of money spent at weddings. It's really unnecessary. They don't spend it on the preacher neither. <laughs> they got a $10,000 wedding dress and they give the preacher 25 bucks and thank him. Dude, you gave that dressmaker 10 grand on that wedding dress and you gave me $25. That didn't include, that don't even clean my funeral suit <laughs> or my wedding suit. My funeral and wedding suit are the same thing. <laughs> I got one. It fit the last time I tried it. May not now. You don't know about that. But Jewish weddings were a week-long event focusing on the home where the couple is going to live. That's the focus of it. And at some point in that week, the groom is going to show up at the house. And he's the only one that's got the information. He's the only one that knows that. He's going to show up at his pleasure. He's just going to show up. Now, the bridesmaids have a responsibility to be there when he shows up, to be ready when he shows up. Now, 
in that part of the world, in that particular time, unlike ours, like the third world today, uh, nighttime is dark. I mean, nighttime is really dark. Now, out here, away from the city, we're becoming less dark at nighttime. But nighttime in a third world country is dark. Just a couple hundred years ago, we would get up when the sun rose. That would be our alarm clock. Well, a chicken would be our rooster would be our alarm clock. And we would be in the house ready to go to bed when the sun went down. That was our day. And we would read. We would not watch Netflix because it wasn't around. Uh, we would talk, and then we'd go to sleep. And we wake up and repeat that. We wouldn't go outside much because it was dark. Everything needed to be put it away, needed to be put away at nighttime. So these bridesmaids need to be ready in case the groom shows up to the house at dark or at night. What were they ready with? Their lamps. And what their assignment was when the the man announces, the groom is arriving. They would have to hear that, be listening for it, be prepared for it, and they would have to go line the street or the road with their lamps. In this particular case, 10 bridesmaids, which is a large bridal uh, entourage, ladies, just one or two. It's better for everybody. <laughs> Make them all mad. You don't need that many. Let them serve cake for you. They'll like it. They don't like those dresses anyway. Okay. They would line the street, and they would have their lamps burning, and the groom, after it is announced that he's arriving, he would walk between the bridesmaids with their lamps lighting the path. So when Jesus tells this parable, everybody, all the first hearers, they understand. We don't understand this. We don't understand this. We just talk about, can I wear jeans, Susan, to this wedding? Yes, Lee, you can wear jeans to this wedding. Thank you, bless you, Susan. Can I wear shorts to this wedding, Susan? No, Lee, you cannot wear shorts. Rats, it's hot outside. But this was an ongoing, week-long thing. Everybody understands the happenings of the wedding. And in Matthew 25, Jesus shares this parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. That's where many of the songs are the midnight cry or that midnight cry song. At midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. All of them. All of the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. 
The five wise and the five unwise. That's important to understand. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. The door was locked. The door was locked. So you have inside the house the five bridesmaids who had enough oil, who prepared, who were ready for him to come at night. But those who didn't have enough oil that had to leave and go buy more oil so they would have enough oil for the lamp for that nighttime coming of the bridegroom. They were locked outside. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. I don't know you. You're not part of the bridal group, family, assemble, whatever they call that. I don't know you. Believe me, I don't know you. So you too, these are the words of Jesus, just like there's no temple, so we need to listen to him. Just like all the signs that he gave are likely are happening, we don't know to what degree they're happening as far as multiplication. We don't know if they're increasing intensity to the point of his return, but we do know that they are increasing intensity today. There's no question the love of many is growing cold. There's no question about that today, is there? It's hard to find love. It's hard to find people that really love each other. It's hard to find, even in the body of Christ, people that understand what it means to love one another as we have been loved by God. We are learning, but we struggle with the love part. We are selfish. We are individuals. We we hold on to uh, the individual desire more than the need of Christ and the group and the mission of Christ. And so we've got to give Jesus serious attention. And here in this scripture, Jesus says, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Now, first of all, these bridesmaids, they had a lot of things in common. They were really good people. They were all there. They all were invited And they all said yes to the invitation. Even the five unwise, when they were asked, will you be in the bridal party? They said, you bet. We're there for you. All ten had gone out to wait for the bridegroom. All of them had their lamps with them. All the virgins wanted to see the bridegroom. All the bridesmaids wanted to see the bridegroom. All were in the right place at the right time. That wasn't the problem. Being on site wasn't the problem. All of them had some oil in their lamps when the night started. When the cry was cried and said, the bridegroom is coming, they were there with oil in their lamps to some degree. All were awakened by the midnight cry. All ten of the bridesmaids got up to prepare their lamps to trim those 
lamps and all appeared to be equally prepared for his coming. I, I want you to know that the wise bridesmaids and the unwise bridesmaids could not really be separated by what you would observe about them. They were really good girls. All of them good people. On the outside, all of them would appear just fine. There's nothing that would distinguish one against another. You couldn't sit there and say, which are the five unwise bridesmaids? You couldn't see their number three is chewing gum. You don't chew gum at weddings. Lee does, but we shouldn't. Matter of fact, as soon as someone says, don't chew gum. I don't even chew gum, but I'm getting gum. <laughs> don't tell me not to chew gum at a wedding. I'll smack them up. I'll blow a bubble in the middle of that wedding. <laughs> oh. Rebellion's a horrible thing. They were so alike. There's a crucial difference, though, we find in the Scripture. The crucial, crucial difference is this. The unwise just didn't have enough oil. The wise have enough oil. So what does the oil represent? That's crucial here, isn't it? Now, the oil represents the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and basically, the oil represents for us today people of genuine faith, authentic faith, that real salvation encounter with Christ. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, you just got enough oil to make it through. That He completely satisfies, that He is the, he is the meter of all of our needs. We're relying upon Christ. And so the five wise Bridesmaids represents those whose hearts have been truly changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They really understand, really know, really aware, really one of His children. Not deceived, not misled, not hoping against all hope. Not because of being a good person, but because they have genuinely turned their heart and life and will and soul over to Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed them for the day of redemption. They're genuinely, authentically God's children. The five unwise bridesmaids that don't have enough oil, we can speculate, but here's what's going on. They look good on the outside. Now, don't you think all these bridesmaids were all dressed alike? Isn't that kind of a deal? They all were color coordinated. They all looked nice. They all had their best on right. But some were trusting in themselves. Some were trusting in good works. Some were trusting in religion. Some were trusting in the goodness of the sacrifice that they had made in life and not the sacrifice that God has made for them. Close, but not close. Around, but not really in the middle. And so that causes us to ask ourselves, what's Jesus really trying to communicate to us today? In our setting today, I think that we can clearly say that verses 1 through 7 tell us that there are two groups in the body of Christ. There's two groups, and it's very difficult to tell the difference between the two groups, but there's two groups in the body of Christ. There's those who attend, those who are regular, those who meet, they all share that in common. Members of the body 
members of the Church of the Crossing, actively participating apart, and they know the Lord, and they're trusting Him, him only for their salvation, and their hearts are His. And then there's another group. Some are attending, some are members. Some come from time to time, just like the others, but yet you have the visible and the invisible group. You have those who are members, they're friends, they're rigor tenders, they're visitors, they're, they're, they're people that consider this their church. However, they don't have a relationship with Christ. You see, I think that this parable that Jesus is teaching us is this. Going to church is a good thing. Coming to Christ is better. Being baptized is good. Being born again is better. Giving money is good. But giving your heart to Jesus is better. Being, being religious, on the most part, has some benefits to it. But knowing Christ as Savior and Lord is best. And there are two groups. There are wise and unwise. They look the same. Good people. But some at the end will be inside the marriage feast and some will be knocking on the door saying, Lord, Lord, please let us in. And the response of our Lord is, I don't know you. Boy, that's a hard, hard issue in the Scripture. Man, it, as a pastor, that one right there is hard on the preacher, teacher. How do you communicate that you really need to be authentically saved? How do you communicate that you really need to know the Lord? How do you communicate that Jesus said on the last day, people are going to be in a real difficult place? Horrible place. It's going to be gnashing of teeth. It's going to be great weeping, great wailing, because there are going to be people that believe they are Christian, and the truth, they're not. And it doesn't matter how long they've been a member of the church. It doesn't matter how long they've been baptized. The fact is, they were deceived in believing they had a walk with God, and they didn't, because they weren't willing to surrender. They weren't willing to turn it completely over to Him. And I think you have this. You know, you can be a Baptist. You can be a Methodist. You can be a Lutheran, a Catholic, a Mennonite. You can be a Presbyterian. You can be an Episcopal, Episcopalian. You can be a Church of Christ. You can be a Charismatic. You can be a Baptocostal. You can be a Bible church person. You can be Calvinist. You can be Arminian in your mindset about things. You can even be a member of the Church of England. I think I'm still a member of the Church of England. They never told me I wasn't. When I was just a few months old, I was baptized at the Church of England. I've often thought about going back and becoming an Anglican there and telling them I believe like they do, but then slipping the gospel in every now and then. Those are harsh words, aren't they? You can even be a church, member of the ch church at the crossing in Lido, Texas and not know the Lord. Not know the Lord. I think verses 8 and 9 tell us clearly 
that you can't borrow faith. Verse 8, then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to shop and buy some for yourselves. So you can't borrow faith. You can't say that you're okay with the Lord because your dad was a deacon or an elder or a pastor or a missionary or a real good believer. You can't say that you know the Lord because your family's been in the church all your life. You can't say that. You can't say that you're a believer because you're a good person. You may be better than most of the people that are up there at the church house in your mind. But Jesus clearly reveals to us here that you can't borrow faith. You have to have your faith, faith that comes from Him, faith that is created by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can't have faith in imitation. You can't have faith at the altar. You can't have faith in the baptism. You can't have faith in the church membership roles of a church. Your faith has got to be in Christ. You're born again. He knows you and you know Him. You hear His voice. You love God's children. There has been a change that has happened in your life. You can't rest on the faith of your mom and dad, good people in your life, just because you are closely uh, uh, it, it lined up with people of faith doesn't mean that you have faith and Jesus may return today and you don't want to be one of those locked outside knocking on the door saying, Lord, wait a minute, let me in. And the Lord says, move away. I never knew you. Verse 10 tells us that there's coming an end to the day of grace. Look at verse 10. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Ooh. Man, don't you just love grace? I love grace. I'm so thankful for grace. Haven't always understood grace. It's beyond my comprehension. I know that naturally I'm not wired to really understand grace, but thanks be to the Lord our God. He saved me by grace. And he offered me the opportunity of forgiveness, and I'm so thankful that knowing so little about Jesus and God and the Scripture and things, I said yes. And I was saved, born again. I received grace. I'm under grace. I am the worst of all sinners. I'm worse than you. You think you're better than me? You are better than me. I need grace. But Jesus said in this parable, there's coming a time when the grace that's available today is going to be no more. No more grace. 
I don't know when that day is going to come. I do know that it hasn't come today as of yet, that grace is still available. But for, for God's sakes, listen, the one that said the buildings would be gone says to us today, there's going to be a day that the door is locked. Understand grace is going to be ended. There's a deadline. Please, don't say someday I'll come to Christ. Don't wait for someday. Don't wait for the right time. Don't wait until you get everything together. Don't wait until you get answers to questions. Don't wait to get answers to questions. Don't wait until your children get old enough to understand so you can all be baptized together. Just get baptized again with them if that's so important to you. I cringe when I've heard guys or gals or moms and dads say, I'm going to wait until my children are old enough to understand what it's all about, and then we're all getting baptized together, but that's when I'll receive Christ. Oh, man, don't do that. Don't say I'll repent later. The truth is, this is the truth. This is not uh, uh, an evangelism cliche, okay? This is the truth. If you wait, your heart may harden and you may never come at all. That happens all the time. Your heart may harden. You're not aware of what's going to happen down the road in your life. You may be wronged. You may be persecuted. You, you may experience some great horrific thing and you're going to blame God and you're going to be angry and the opportunity for you to understand what God has done is lost for you. Now, the truth is, when you say no at a car dealership, it's easier to say no the next time. If you've never said no at a car dealership, it's hard to say no. Real good salesmen, they'll talk you into everything, won't they? If you hadn't said no. And if you've said no to Christ, you'll say no, and you'll say no, and you'll say no. In the Holy Spirit's convicting you, making you aware of your need for Him, say Yes. And this teaching of Jesus tells us the danger of self-deception. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Verse 11, 12, and 13. It says, Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. You got to keep watching, he just said, because you don't know the hour or the time of my return, the day or the hour. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23. This is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus lays out this truth very clearly for us. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are the words of Jesus. The buildings are gone. He needs to be paid attention to. 
Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says, I'm religious. Not everyone that says, I'm a Baptist. Not everyone that says, I'm believer. I'm a knower. I've got it down. I'm okay. I understand the Lord. I go to church. I'm a good person. Not everyone who calls out to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Only those who have been submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Only those that do what my Father has said to do. Only those who do the work of my Father. Only those who obey God. That's what it says here. And so there is decision. There is commitment of faith made. There is life change made on those that enter the kingdom of God. You just can't walk down a church aisle and say all the right things and know for sure that all is okay. These are the words of Jesus. They need to be heeded. They need to be listened to. They need to be dealt with. They need to be approached. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. I mean, they preached. They, they were part of the movement. They attended church. They were in the gathering of people. They were part, I mean, they understood demons. They cast out demons. They were part of the good stuff. They were part of what, what most of us long for, you know? The movement of a, a, a thought that God is working around us. That's hard to understand. I can't explain that at all. I don't have a working knowledge or information of that. I can't unpackage that for anyone that makes sense to you. I sure can't unpackage that so it makes sense to me. But he said this. He means this. This is important information. This is true. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, we can be in the line at Judgment Day and you can walk back and we say, how was it? How'd it go? He didn't know me. What? He didn't know you. If he didn't know you, in the world is he going to know me? Oh, kind of has nightmares about that. The big nightmare I have about that is someone walks back to the throne of God and says, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that just going to church wasn't enough? Well, I, I thought I did, but you weren't there to hear me. You know, that's, what, that's probably my defense coming up. I thought I knew him. I thought you knew him. You talked about it, but you, you had a secret life, I guess, or you just didn't know, or I don't understand. Oh, how horrible that day is going to be. Can you imagine how horrible this day is going to be? You remember, we talked about in Matthew 24, not everybody is going to be rejoicing at the second coming. 1 John 2.28 says, many will shrink away from his second coming because of shame. 
And we know in Matthew 24, Jesus says at his coming, people of every tribe are going to be in great anguish over his return. Why? They weren't ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing to humble yourself today and get ready? The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you for a long time and you know you're not ready. It's time to get ready today. People are going to be surprised that you weren't ready. Isn't it better that people are surprised today than then? Do you, do you hear that? Do you understand that? Salvation. The Holy Spirit's been saying, I love you, I care for you. You need to come to me. You need to embrace me. You need to walk in my grace. You need to do whatever you understand you need to do. Pray the sinner's prayer. Make a commitment. Believe. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Don't leave our service today not prepared for his return. You got to have enough oil in your lamps. Maybe today you need to come to the altar as we sing and worship and confess. It's between you and the Lord. Nobody needs to hear about it. It's just between you and the Lord. A time of confession, a time of prayer, a time of getting right with God, a renewal, a time of, Lord, I need you, a time to renew faith. A time perhaps for couples to come forward and just between them and the Lord to renew their marriage vows, renew their marriage covenant. Now, the reason why you won't come do that is because you don't want anybody to think that you're close to divorce or you're having troubles. Oh my. Every one of us, if we were able to gauge who those people are here that have the closest relationship, they renew their vows all the time to each other. Don't let anything, don't let any image, don't let any uh, peer pressure get in the way of you leaving the church this morning absolutely ready for the Lord to return. Whatever that means for you. May the Spirit work. I'll be at the front. I'm going to take my microphone off. Nobody will hear what we talk about, okay? No worries there. You need to pray with me? Come pray with me. You need to come and kneel at the altar and pray to the Father? Please come and pray. I'm not your priest. Jesus is your priest. Come to Him. But leave today whatever the Holy Spirit is working your life to be right with our Lord. Lord, may you do what you desire to do. May you come. May you renew us. May you regenerate us. May you make us aware of the deadline that's to come. Lord, we may not have been faithful to do the things you've asked to do. And so we need a shot in the arm today. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us of our assignment, of our commitments that we've made, of the promises that we've made to you. Maybe we need to come and pray and strengthen our family today. Maybe it's just coming and praying for someone. Maybe, Lord, it's, it's being intentional 
with what you've called us to do and be. I lift up your people to you today, Lord, and I ask, Father, that you work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing together and come to the altar and, and prepare yourself for the Lord's return. <laughs>